0: Hello and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what He wants to do in your life. Ken Canfield.
1: Ken Canfield writes about something that happened to him on his family vacation. His daughter, Sarah, got a little ornery, and she pushed her younger sister, Hannah. Did you push your sister, Ken asked, and she said no. She lied. (laughs) Um, And since this was becoming a, a growing pattern for Sarah, Ken decided to take a walk with her to get to the bottom of things. So there's Ken and Sarah walking along, and he said, Sarah, I'm really disappointed with your behavior. I mean, what's going on? What, what, what do you need to do about it? And he expected Sarah to tell him that she needed to stop lying or she needed to apologize to her sister. But instead, with tears in her eyes, Sarah said, I need to ask Jesus to come into my heart. Wow. I need to ask Jesus to come into my heart. And Ken was kind of convicted by that answer because there he was, you know, zeroing in on behavior modification. And his six-year-old daughter had already recognized her own need for an internal spiritual change. Ken was focused on morality. Sarah was focused on the relationship that makes being good both possible and authentic. So this morning, I want you to think with me about the new relationship that God offers us through his son, Jesus. We're in the midst of this message series on 2 Corinthians I'm calling cruciform, living a cross-shaped life, and that that word cruciform, it, it means anything that's made in the shape of a cross. It could be a building, a work of art, piece of jewelry, and your life and my life can also be cruciform or cross-shaped. And when that happens, our everyday lives remind other people of what Jesus would do, what Jesus would say, how Jesus would treat people, and how Jesus would handle situations. A cruciform life resembles, it reflects Jesus. Now, the great Christian leader Paul wrote these two long letters in our New Testament to relatively new Christians in the Greek city of Corinth. And what he wrote was impacted by the issues and the controversies that he and this church in Corinth experienced. And one controversy among many was initiated by teachers who came into the church after Paul left to evangelize other cities. And this group of teachers was known as Judaizers. Judaizers and they were likely ethnically jewish men who had become followers of jesus but they believed and they taught that christians needed to practice judaism to really be followers of jesus in other words they they still needed to keep the law of moses Uh, You still needed to observe the Passover and all the other Jewish religious festivals. Men still needed to be circumcised. And all of this, all of this was still necessary to be right with God, to please God, to be accepted by God, and and to get into heaven. And most of the Corinthian Christians were non-Jews, so they likely didn't know any better. Paul, however had been as Jewish as you could get before becoming a Christian. And if anyone might have insisted on the need to adopt the Jewish faith with all of its trappings in order to be truly Christian, well, that would have been Paul. But after his conversion, God made it very plain to Paul that no one could ever be made right with God by keeping the Old Testament law. That only happened when anyone receives God's grace accessed by our faith. And having a Jewish background, yeah, was a great blessing, absolutely. But Jews needed to be converted to Jesus just as much as non-Jews. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's standards. Everyone needs to receive God's grace by faith. And and these Judaizers, well, they didn't much care for Paul or his approach to the Christian faith. They thought he was bad news. They thought he was a heretic. And they attacked his teaching. They attacked his reputation. They did their best to destroy Paul's influence anywhere and everywhere among Christians. Well, it helps to know all of that if you want to better understand why Paul wrote what he wrote in the Second Corinthians passage that we want to look at today. So I want you to get your Bible out in whatever form you have it and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 4 and read through the end of the chapter. And I want you to put your eyes on God's Word and follow, it, uh, follow along with it as I read this passage. So here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 beginning at verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Oh, key words right there. Ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness?' For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? I'm at verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But wherever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord there is there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I'm going to have to take my coat off. I'm getting warmed up up here. Is that all right? Nobody's going to be too offended? (laughs) Okay. Okay. The passage that we just read is all about what Paul called the new covenant and how it was far better than the old covenant. Now, what is a covenant anyway? A covenant is an arrangement between two people or two parties through which they enter into a certain kind of a relationship and marriage might be the best example of a covenant, okay? It establishes a certain kind of relationship between a man and a woman. And the new covenant was a new way for human beings to have a relationship with God. And it was related to, but very different from, the old way human beings could try and relate to God. And here Paul contrasted this new covenant with the old covenant, and he showed why it was far better. Paul implied that anyone who is living a cross-shaped life has discovered and is now living into this new way, this new and better way of relating to the God of the universe. And he insisted that this new way of relating to God, this new covenant, was infinitely better than the old one. And he pointed out to at least five ways this new way to relate to God is vastly superior to the old way. First of all, here's what here's the first one. The new way is more wonderful and reflects God's glory better. The new way is more wonderful and reflects God's glory better. I hope you notice that Paul mentioned Moses and a lot of Old Testament stuff, a lot in what we just read. Why? Well, because it was through Moses that the old way of relating to God was created. And you can read all about it in the Old Testament. Uh, after Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt, they camped out in the wilderness near a mountain, Mount Sinai. And Moses went up to the top of the mountain. He spent time there alone with God. And there God gave him the Ten Commandments and other laws and information. And uh, Moses was, was in the actual presence of God during this very special time. And one result was the fact that his face literally and physically shone like a, like a bright light. And this absolutely freaked out the people of Israel. I mean, it, it filled them with, with great fear. And apparently, Moses started putting a veil over his face after he spent time with God, and then he would remove it when he returned to speak with God. But Moses' face didn't continue to shine, you know, indefinitely um, from then on. After he discontinued this direct interaction with God, Moses' face gradually returned to normal. So, So you see, that's the the historical background to what Paul was writing about here. The old way of relating to God initiated by Moses, yes, it was wonderful. Yes, it reflected God's greatness and glory. That's why Paul says here, here, "'The old way began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face.'" for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. So Paul is eager to tell uh, them that what God did in and through Moses was absolutely God-given, it was God-blessed, yes, it was wonderful, yes, it was full of God's glory, but it could not compare and cannot compare, Paul insisted, with what God had done now through Jesus' death and resurrection. You see, a completely new way to relate to God had been established, and it was far superior to the old way. If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. Well, what what makes the new way of relating to God so much more wonderful, so much better than the old way? And that's really what the rest of today's message is, is all about. A cruciform life a life that uh, has been shaped by the cross of Jesus, has opted for this new way of relating to God because it is so much more wonderful and so far better than the old way. So secondly, the new way is permanent. The new way is permanent. What God did in and through Moses giving the people of Israel what we call the Ten Commandments, the law, you know, that elaborate sacrificial worship system that we read about, it was never intended to be permanent. The old way of relating to God, as it's described in the Old Testament, was always in the mind of God, temporary. And so Paul said here, so if the old way, which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever. And even the Old Testament itself acknowledged that God, well, he was going to do something new in the future that would replace this old way of relating to him. The prophet Jeremiah announced what God told him was going to happen. The day is coming, says the Lord when I will make a new covenant. Oh, there's that word again, those two words, with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Well, so, why was the old covenant with Moses and so forth, that old way of relating to God, why was it only temporary? Well, it was only temporary because it wasn't effective in achieving God's purpose of creating a way for people to have a relationship with God. Instead of making us right with God, it provided unintentionally, ironically perhaps, even greater reasons for God to reject us. Instead of resulting in our salvation, it sealed our condemnation. It didn't help to restore a personal relationship with God for anyone, Jew or non-Jew. And right from the start, it was meant to be only temporary. It was pointing to, it was leading up to Jesus. When he died and when he rose again, the old way of relating to God was no longer necessary. It's it's not even appropriate anymore. What God has done in and through Jesus, how Jesus paid the penalty for our sins at the cross and the empty tomb, how our sins are forgiven now and forever, how we can now have direct access to God our Heavenly Father, that's what has become permanent. And this new way it lasts forever. So, a cruciform life, hopefully your life and my life, has opted for what's permanent over what was temporary when it comes to how we should relate to God. Here's a third thought. The new way means relating to God through an eternal change of my heart. The new way means relating to God through an eternal change of my heart. Now again, it's interesting how the Old Testament prophets spoke about this. Again, Jeremiah had said, "But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their what? Their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Another prophet, Old Testament prophet, Ezekiel, could see this new covenant coming, and he wrote about it even more explicitly than Jeremiah. Again, he's quoting God here, and he says, I will give you a new what? A new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So what was, what was wrong with the old way of relating to God, the Moses way? Why didn't it work? Folks, it's not because people couldn't understand it then or now. It's not because there's something wrong with our brains, either back then or now. It's because it has failed to address the real problem. There's something wrong with our hearts, not our brains, but our hearts. Uh, that spiritual, emotional, psychological place inside of us that defines who we really are. And because of sin, our hearts start out being resistant, hard, and cold to God. The Bible's not very flattering about our hearts without God. Here's what it says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Wow. And and the old covenant, the old Moses way of trying to address the problem was by getting us to obey God's external standards without addressing the internal problem, our sinful hearts. And it explained to us what living God's way looked like, do this, don't do that, but it gave us no internal power or ability to actually live that way. And so that's why Paul wrote here in 2 Corinthians, the old way with with laws etched in stone led to death. But the new covenant, the new way of relating to God, goes right to the heart of the matter, the heart, your heart, my heart. And through the Holy Spirit, we are offered a new heart, and that results in a completely new relationship with the God of the universe. Remember Dr. Christian Barnard? You remember him? He was the first surgeon to perform a heart transplant. And he asked one of his patients, a Dr. Philip Bleiberg, who was a dentist, if, if he would like to see his old heart This was after the surgery. And uh, Blayberg said, yeah, sure. So Dr. Barnard went uh, up to the cupboard, took down a glass container, and handed it to Philip Blayberg. And inside this container was his old heart. And for a moment, he just, he just kind of stood there stunned because he was the very first person in history ever to hold his own heart in his hands. And he asked Dr. Barnard several questions, and then he turned, he took one final look at the contents of that glass container, and he said, So, this is my old heart that caused me so much trouble. And he handed it back to Dr. Barnard. He turned away, and he left his old heart forever. And, folks, that's a a window, that's a picture into what Jesus does when you relate to God in the new way. Yes, you you remain the same person, but God changes your heart spiritually and makes it new. And, And if your life is truly cruciform, Cross-shaped, it means that the Holy Spirit has replaced your old, sick, sinful heart intent on living life's its own destructive way with a new, healthy, clean heart intent on living life God's abundant way. Here's a fourth thought. The new way depends on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The new way depends on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. And folks, I got to tell you, this might be the single most important difference between the old covenant and the new covenant, the old way of relating to God and the new way of relating to God. Because what God did through Jesus, the message that Paul had been faithfully proclaiming, was a direct fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Remind you of that verse in Ezekiel again where God says through Ezekiel, and I will put my what? Spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. The, the old way of, of relating to God lacked the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. But the new way of relating to God absolutely depends on the Holy Spirit living His life through us. What does He do? Well, He changes our hearts. He gives us a new love for God. He fills us with faith. He he provides a new internal spiritual power to live in a way that pleases God. I'll give you a second or two to write all that in. That's that's just a fraction of what the Holy Spirit does in your life and mind. Changes our heart, gives us a new love for God, fills us with faith, provides a new internal spiritual power to live in a way that pleases God. And so that's why Paul wrote here this is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. And, you know, maybe the example of a fruit tree is one helpful way to explain the crucial difference here. A few weeks ago, Cheryl and I went to one of those apple orchards, peach orchard pick some beautiful apples, some beautiful peaches. You know, apples and peaches uh, don't grow on trees because Congress passed a law they should. I'm not sure Congress could ever agree to pass a law like that anyway, could they? Um, But anyway, apples and peaches are the natural result, the fruit of what apple trees and peach trees just do. And a cruciform life, a life that's, that's shaped like the cross, it isn't just produced on demand. And the Old Testament law, the Moses way, it couldn't just make it happen. That way ended in condemnation and death. No, instead, it's the natural and spiritual result when the Holy Spirit comes to live within your spirit. It results in salvation and life and fruitfulness. Well, here's a a fifth reason the new way of relating to God is so vastly superior to the old way. The new way just has far better results. Far better results. Well, in what ways? Well, the new way makes us free. Did you pick up on that? Paul wrote here, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord there is, tell me, freedom. It's interesting, isn't it? What, what is it? What did, what did he mean by freedom here? You know, it, it's easy to forget, folks, that without the Holy Spirit living his life through you, you are, and I am, a spiritual slave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're in spiritual bondage to something that's, that's vastly more powerful than us. You're enslaved to sin's penalty, which is eternal death and damnation. You're enslaved to sin's power. It's always just going to dominate and rule your life. And it's impossible to have a healthy relationship with God because sin is a tyrant that runs and ruins your life at every place. But when you're born again by the Holy Spirit, what happens? Sin's penalty is broken. God accepts Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross in your place. An eternal relationship with God is restored. Sin's power is broken. Now, sure, you and I can still choose to do the wrong thing as followers of Jesus. And sadly, we often do, don't we? But now, for the very first time, you're liberated to do the right thing. You're freed up to consider others first. You're free to love God and others sincerely. You're free to receive and extend forgiveness. You're free to return good for evil. And sin stops being the Lord of your life. And Jesus becomes the rightful Lord in its place. Freedom. A man by the name of Mark Reed was eating lunch at a small cafe, and he saw this sparrow hop through the open door of the cafe and peck at some crumbs near his table. And and when the crumbs were gone, the sparrow hopped up onto the window ledge and spread its wings and took flight. It was a very brief flight because it crashed against the window pane, fell to the floor, well, the bird re- recovered quickly enough, tried again, crash, again, crash. And, and Mark got up. He attempted to shoo this little sparrow out the door, but the closer he got, the harder it would throw itself against the window pane. He, he nudged it with his hand, and the sparrow fluttered along the ledge, hammering its beak on that glass. And finally, Mark just reached out and he gently caught that bird folding his fingers around its wings and its body, and it, it, it weighed almost nothing. And he thought of how powerless and how vulnerable that sparrow must have felt at that moment. And at the door, he took it outside, he released it, and that sparrow just sailed away. And you see, what Mark did for that sparrow, God does for you and me. He takes us captive By his love and through his grace to set us free. Freedom. The new way of relating to God has far better results. The new way provides authentic transformation. Do you remember, those of you who know your Bibles pretty well, you'll get this. Do you remember what the people of Israel did within a few days of Moses receiving the Old Covenant? they made an idol out of gold. Remember that? The the little baby cow, a calf figurine, and they fell down and worshiped it. I mean, right out of the gate, they proved they were incapable of keeping the old way of relating to God. They couldn't do it. And the old way can, can tell you and me what actions and attitudes please God, do this, don't do that, but it gives us absolutely no ability to do what pleases God or to quit doing what displeases Him. And you put that reality beside the fact that all of us have these hearts that just kind of naturally lean away from God and away from His will and away from His ways, and my goodness, you've got a deadly combination. That's precisely why we need it and why we will always need the presence of the Holy Spirit if we're going to relate to God in this new way that he's provided. And so that's why Paul wrote here, And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious presence. Because only the Holy Spirit living inside of you and me can produce authentic transformation and change in our lives. And folks, we we need to get clear and stay clear on this whole business of spiritual transformation and change. Does does God love you and me completely and fully? How many of you believe that? God love you completely and fully? Folks, we're going to celebrate In a few moments, the fact that God loves us completely and fully. I mean, he's proved that by sending Jesus to us. But God's love doesn't mean that he's content to leave us just the way we are when we first became Jesus's followers. Again, folks, we're running into this myth in our culture where love means accepting you for the way that you are. No, it's not. That's not how God loves you and me. He's not content to just leave us the way we are. And sometimes as followers of Jesus, we think that, that what matters, all that matters is that we just believe in Jesus and what he's done for us. And yeah, we might join a church and go and, and try to be a little, will uh, try a little harder to be a nicer person. As if that's all that matters to God. But if we have ever truly received God's grace by faith. Folks, we're going to make every effort to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in his mission to renew and transform our lives. The fact is that we're called and we're expected to look more and more like Jesus increasingly. Well, you say, well, Rick, how does that happen? Well, we develop a lifestyle that worships, we're doing right now, that serves somewhere in the church, somewhere in the community, that studies, that prays, that witnesses, that gives consistently. Maybe maybe we join or we lead a disciple-making triad. Maybe we become part of a ministry like like Regeneration because it's it's all about ongoing transformation and change. And transformation, folks, it never happens accidentally. Accidentally. God expects us to be intentional about it and cooperate with the Holy Spirit who lives within us. One final thought. The new way of relating to God has far better results. Why? Let's conclude with maybe the most obvious result of all. The new way successfully makes me right with God. And folks, that's that's really Paul's argument in a nutshell here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Trying to be right with God by keeping the law, the Moses way, results in condemnation. Why? Death or eternal separation from God is the penalty for sin. That, that's what's meant by condemnation here. The old way, you know, it defines sin for us, so we, could, we couldn't offer the excuse anymore that we're just ignorant, we're uninformed, we don't know what sin is, we can't say that anymore. But it didn't offer us any assistance in obeying those demands of God either. It didn't somehow convince an absolutely holy God to to grade our sin-dominated lives on a a curve. Did you know that even if you had a score of 99% obedience to God, it would still be a failing grade? God is so holy, folks, that if you're going to go the Moses way, it's got to be perfect. And nobody's going to reach that. And and that's why Paul said here, if the old way, which brings condemnation, but you see, when we receive God's grace and we put our faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us, that's when the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. That's when we're born again. And the ultimate result is spiritual life. And we're forgiven, we're justified, just as if we never sinned at all in the sight of God. We're accepted, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we're adopted as children into God's family. How much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? I need to hear an amen. All right, there we go. Hey, um, one of the most important um, sports records is the home run record in baseball. And uh, you baseball fans will likely know this bit of trivia, but on August the 7th, 2007, Barry Bonds hit number 756, which broke the old record set by Hank Aaron. Um, But there's a lot of baseball fans that think there ought to be a big asterisk behind the name of Barry Bonds. Why? Well, because it's pretty obvious that Barry Bonds used steroids during his career. I mean, all you have to do is look at his body before and after, and you say, yep, there was something, something going on there that little bit a little bit strange, never admitted to it, but pretty obvious that he had taken performance-enhancing drugs. So what's the point of the asterisk? It means tainted. It means there's a big question mark about that record. Um, It means there's there's considerable doubt and certainty whether it should even be a a record or not. That's why some people think there ought to be an asterisk behind the name of Barry Bonds as the home-run king in baseball. Interesting, a man by the name of Mark Echo, he's a fashion designer, he bought that baseball, that 756th baseball. home run baseball. And um, after he bought it, he asked baseball fans what he should do with it. And the majority of them said, you should brand an asterisk on it and send it to the Baseball Hall of Fame. And a year later, in in the summer of 2008, that's what Mark Echo did. Now, I tell that story because... If there is anyone that ought to understand and identify with an asterisk being behind our name, that should be you and that should be me. Because when you think of all the sins that we've committed in, in this life, And we think about God's absolute holiness, it's sort of like, who are we? Who are you kidding? Tainted. Question mark. Doubt. Uncertainty. About whether you really belong to God, you're going to be a part of his kingdom. But, folks... The message of the new covenant, which we're going to celebrate in just a few moments, is that what Jesus did, his work was so perfect when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. He so completely justified us through what he did. And God is so good and right and fair to accept us on that basis that there will never be a day in your life or mine or in the future when we're not in. We're in the kingdom of God because of what Jesus did for us. Hmm. Are you cruciform? Do you have a cross-shaped life? My friend, if you do, then you have stopped trying to relate to God the old way, trying to be good, trying to keep a set of rules. And instead, you have moved gratefully and thankfully into this new way of relating to God, which is so much more wonderful and so much better because it's permanent, and because it changes your heart and mind through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And let's face it, it has far better results, sets you free, provides authentic transformation in your life, and it successfully makes you and me right with God. So we can be accepted by Him for all eternity.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.callroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K, A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Carl Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that, so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.